need something to change, maybe in your behavior, habits, or emotions, it doesn't have to be so complicated, really. God designed change to happen in you effortlessly when you are positioned correctly. I'll show you the three ways to get there. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me and our loving community on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. As always, a big thank you to the donors and partners who keep us going and growing. You know, we are entirely donor supported. And if you'd like to partner with us in reaching people, you may do so at any time at kylewinkler.org donate. Any amount is huge. Okay, got this seed right here. You see this? And inside this seed is all the DNA that it needs to change into a tree which produces a whole lot of fruit. And to do it, the seed doesn't have to squeeze and squint and push to pop anything out. But this seed is literally programmed by God to grow and produce when it's planted in the right place. You see, it's not the seed's effort that produces the fruit. Growth happens automatically out of the seed's nature. It's God-designed nature, which is activated by the environment it's in. That's the way we were designed by God, too. When you said yes to Jesus, you got a DNA change. The Bible actually says in 1 John 3, 9, that the seed of God was placed in you at the moment of your salvation. So that means you contain everything you need to produce the fruit of God's nature, which is peace and joy and courage and so much more. Perhaps even more incredibly, you are programmed to bring forth that fruit, to change into everything that God designed you for automatically as part of your nature, as long as you are planted in the right place. If you were with me a couple weeks ago, I taught about this place where God created us to live. It's Eden. After God finished all the work of creation, Genesis 2.8 says that God placed man in the Garden of Eden. And now, why is that significant? Because Eden is a Hebrew word that means delight. So literally, the environment that God designed us to be planted in is in the center of his delight. It's from the place that Genesis 2 says all good things flow and grow. Beauty, fruit, refreshment, it all comes from living in God's delight. I'm not going to reteach that message, except to say that this was a place of no striving, no earning, no hustle, no bustle, no stress. They had one job, if you even want to call it that. In Genesis 2.15, the Bible says that the Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden, in his delight, to tend it and watch over it. Until they sinned, 
Adam and Eve's sole responsibility was to cultivate God's delight. Some versions say till it, tend to it, watch it, whatever. These are all words ultimately that say to protect it and keep it fresh. Well, the physical Garden of Eden is long gone, but the spiritual place of Eden, of God's delight, is real and accessible today wherever you are. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to have to go on a pilgrimage to some location. He wants you to experience His delight wherever you are. Jesus' death on the cross opened the gates to His delight, to the spiritual Eden once again, so that all who believe may live in and enjoy all the benefits that flow and grow from it. But here's the thing. Just because we have access to it doesn't mean we actually experience its benefits. That's why our responsibility as Christians is also to cultivate the environment of God's delight. To keep it fresh. You know, as I talk about in my book, Shut Up Devil, when I became a Christian, I fell in love quickly with Jesus and I experienced that honeymoon period in the faith that a lot of us do, where it's just like we're on this mountaintop and all this stuff is happening. But in time, I began that slow fade into striving and trying to make things happen, trying to bring about all of God's promises and fix myself and qualify myself so that maybe He'll bless me and provide for me. Well, I got to be like 10 years into the faith doing this when I asked God, why isn't it working? Lord, why am I not changing? Why am I still insecure? Why am I still easily triggered? Why do I feel such shame? Why am I so offended? Why don't I feel like the new person that you promised that I am? God, what more do I need to do? I said. Well, God showed me that doing was my problem. That's how I got so frustrated to start with. Just like this seed would get very frustrated if it tries to bring forth itself everything that it knows is inside of it. When I left the simplicity of just being loved by Him, when I left that place where growth really happens, and I got caught up in a bunch of doing and willpower, that's when I got frustrated. And so that's when God finally put a stop to it and began my journey to grace, my journey into His delight, where my qualification, blessing, favor, love, acceptance, everything I was trying to work to achieve on my own. He took me to the place where all of those weren't based on what I do or have done, but were based solely on what Jesus has done. Just as He designed it to be in the beginning from His delight. And I'm telling you, when I really learned how to live in this place of grace, more changed in me almost effortlessly than the 10 years of all the spiritual disciplines that I attempted. 
So when I say that I learned how to live in it, really, I'm saying that I learned how to cultivate the environment, how to position myself so that the growth I was programmed for with my new nature in Christ began to happen automatically. If you're in Christ, it's in you, as I said. It's in you. The seed of Almighty God is in you. The identity of Christ is in you. The nature of God is in you. You just have to make sure you're positioned so that it grows. So this is different than trying to make it happen through willpower. It really is just a process of adjusting some patterns so that your environment is conducive for growth. Now, before I get into the three simple ways to position yourself, let me stress, these are not laws. These are not things you have to be perfect with. They are not qualifiers for salvation. They are not things that keep you loved or accepted by God. And I have to say that because I know some of you have the personality of taking a principle and turning it into something that you have to do perfectly. Or you feel like you let somebody down. No, that's not what this is. As we go through these, remember, these are get-tos, not have-tos. Got it? Okay. The first simple way to position yourself for effortless change is meditation. Now, I know these days the word meditation has a stigma with it, mostly because it's been hijacked by New Age people. But meditation is first and foremost a biblical practice. You see it discussed in the Old Testament, maybe most notably in Psalms 1, verses 2 through 3. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Meditating is the key word there. And in the biblical sense, it's not staring at your navel while you're sitting cross-legged, humming. It's not a process of mind emptying. It's a process of mind filling. Biblically, it's a process that includes thinking and speaking. You've heard me teach that before. Back before Jesus, as we saw in the verse, they meditated on the law. That means they insistently rehearsed and rolled around with their minds in their mouths one or many of the 613 do's and don'ts that God gave them through Moses. But because of Jesus, we don't meditate on law anymore because we have a new nature that doesn't need to be forced into submission but simply needs an environment conducive for growth. In the New Testament, Paul illustrates the effective way to meditate for this to happen. It's one of the most familiar verses, certainly one of them that I often talk about, Romans 12 too. Paul says, let God transform you by changing the way you think. Did you hear that first part? Let God transform you. Paul says God does the change as you change the way you think. That's meditation. As I said earlier, so many of us are struggling because we think we're the ones responsible for change. We're hustling and we're running and it's just 
really chasing a dangling carrot we're not going to catch. I know that's what I was doing. And I thought, I've got to keep myself pleasing to God. I've got to keep fixing myself and improving myself and achieving so that God will stay happy with me. I thought that was my responsibility as a Christian. Always be changing, always be improving. Until it wore me out with little to show for it. That's the law-based approach. The grace-based approach is keeping your thoughts aligned with the truth that you are good with God and loved by God, and that can't change. So yeah, you might choose to roll scriptures around that speak about who you are and what you have in Christ. Certainly that's fine. But if you're not careful, even that can kind of become a law of memorization. So I challenge you to do something different, to really cultivate the grace of God in your life. I recommend you personalize those scriptures in a way that relates directly to you and your situations. I don't care how often you change the scripture. You know, maybe you choose a scripture at the beginning of the day just for that day. Maybe you choose a scripture for the week. Maybe you choose a scripture for whatever particular issue or emotion you're facing and you stick with it for however long you need to. But spend a few moments with whatever scripture that is to think through it. I always teach to ask yourself three questions. What does this truth mean about me? What does this truth mean about God? And what does that all mean about my situation? That's real meditation because you internalize that truth in a way that actually changes how you think and what you believe. So I'm going to show you the difference here, just so it really sinks in here, so you get it, between a law-based approach to meditation versus the grace-based approach that really works. Let's say you're battling lust. Well, lust doesn't keep God from loving you, but like anything that consumes you or is a stronghold, it could keep you from loving God to the fullest. It could hold you back from things that God wants for you. And so for your good, God doesn't want you to be consumed by anything. Certainly not lust. So a law-based approach to deal with lust would be to take a scripture that tells you not to lust and to speak it over and over and think it over and over. Do not lust. Do not lust. Something like maybe 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, flee from youthful lust. So the law-based approach would take that and constantly say, I flee from youthful lust. I flee from youthful lust. I flee from youthful lust. Don't lust. Don't lust. Don't lust. Except it doesn't really work when you do it that way. It doesn't have the outcome that you're hoping because the more that lust is on your mind, the more you're likely to fall to it. Just like the more you think about chocolate, the more you're likely to crave it. Whenever you put anything in your mind that influences how you act. This is why 1 Corinthians 15.56 says that law empowers sin. The more you focus on do's and don'ts, the more you actually do the don'ts. That's why the grace-based approach to meditation is the only one that really works. 
And the way you do it is to take a scripture like 1 Corinthians 1.30, which says that God has made us right. Christ has made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. And reflect on what that means and say it in your own words. I might declare something like, I am made right in Christ. I am pure and holy. I am freed from sin. Now, I know that sounds kind of opposite because you're battling lust and now you're declaring, I am made right with God and I am free from sin. Doesn't that sound contradictory? Well, that's how things are in the kingdom. The point is not to keep telling yourself what to do or don't do. Stop putting law on yourself, but tell yourself who you are. Prophesy to yourself where you are because of Jesus. That gets your mind focused on the right thing, so that right believing turns into right behaving, which turns into right living. This is what changed me. As I told you, I used to be afraid to talk. And now here I am talking to many people through ministry. For years, I was consumed with the fear of rejection. Now here I am doing something that opens myself to a lot of criticism and rejection. I didn't change myself. I tried. Like I said, I tried with a whole bunch of spiritual help methods, self-help methods. But God was the one that ultimately did the change in me as I consistently aligned my thoughts and beliefs simply according to who I am, according to how good He is, and how much He loves me. It's a practice that I still do today to rehearse and repeat what is true and what is good. Things like Ephesians 1.6, I'm accepted in the beloved, or Ephesians 2.10, I am God's masterpiece. Again, those aren't word-for-word quotes of the Scripture. I personalize them to what they mean about me. And after some time of doing that, I suddenly look back and realize, wow, I've changed. You know, you don't always see it in the moment because it's incremental changes. Often you have to look back at hindsight or you suddenly get to a place and you're like, well, I'm not the same person that I was anymore. That's what I said. I said, I've grown. I have much more peace than I once did. God did the changes. I changed my thoughts. Simple as that. It's how we're programmed to work. This is such a huge concept, which is why I talk about it so much. It's why I've created so many resources to help you apply this principle in your life. My think on these things, journal is probably the best one for this. I created it in a way that helps you reflect on one truth at a time so that it really kind of reprograms your mind to change your beliefs, to change your life. And it works. It just works. At the end of the message, I'm going to give you one super simple power thought that will foster more change and growth in you than anything else. So stick with me. You've got to hear it. And I'm saving it for the end because it kind of wraps up this message and I'm going to use it to speak a blessing over you, okay? The second way to position yourself for effortless change builds off of what we just explored, but it's more specific at helping you get a proper view of God and the world around you in a way that produces peace and joy. 
and it's this. Recall God's goodness in your life. And I say recall because we all have evidence of God's goodness in our lives. We all have real tangible moments that we can look back to and see when God delivered us or healed us or got us through something we didn't think we'd get through. In Philippians 4.8, Paul says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. Think about things. That's intentional. And that's actually what reprograms your brain, intentional thinking. It changes your brain, it changes how you see, which changes how you act. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of this because I've taught it before and it's in my books. But because of how God physically designed our bodies, what you see is more determined by your brain than it is your eyes. It's true. Your eyes let the light and the color and all the data in, but your brain processes the data and interprets it, telling the rest of you what to do with the information. For years, because of the pattern of thinking that I grew up in, I didn't think of God as good. As a matter of fact, I thought of him as this taskmaster who wanted to do nothing but discipline me. Making his list and checking it twice. And getting me if I wasn't perfect with it all. And that's what I was told, basically. Watch out. Don't do this. Don't do that. God will get you back. So if anything, I developed this expectation for bad things to happen in my life. Just expected bad. And I thought it was God doing it. I saw things through a very negative lens. It's been a process to reprogram my brain out of that. But what I'm sharing here helped me do it. So I'm going to give you an example here. And I don't mean to dishonor my parents by saying this. They were just repeating how they were raised. But let's say that our family made a little extra money one week. Dad got a bonus or something, I don't know. Or somebody won something, whatever. Well, if in the next few days or weeks or the next month or whatever, the tire on the car went flat and needed to be replaced, the refrigerator went out, or maybe somebody had a health issue, had to go to the doctor, it would be said, well, anytime you get ahead, something like this happens, can never get ahead. Well, that was a very negative view that shaped a whole lot of how I saw the world. It didn't cultivate an environment for anything good. Nothing good was growing in me by thinking that. So today I've had to change the way I think about things like that. Because things still do happen. I mean, yeah. You get a little extra money and something comes up. But rather than thinking that God or the world or whatever is stealing my extra money to get me back or something, I think, wow, God is so good that he knew ahead of time that I would need the extra money. This is his provision. He promises to meet our needs, and this is a way that he does it. He's that good. So do you see the difference? My new focus is on God's goodness. 
I mean, through whatever, there can be some bad stuff going on around, but you can still see God's goodness in the midst of it all if you change your mindset. God's goodness is all around. And yes, it takes intention. But when you have that kind of mindset, you'll have far less worries because you will trust the goodness of God and everything that comes from it. Intentionally think about God's goodness. Recall your history of his provision and protection. There's no right way or wrong way to do this. Maybe you journal about it in the morning or the evening. That's a good way. Maybe you intentionally build time into your prayers to thank God for the specific things that happened in the day. Another great way. Maybe you have a book. I'm going to be filming a discussion with someone whose family keeps what's called a book of remembrances. We'll probably talk more about what that's about when I film with them sometime next month. A book of remembrances. I love that. Maybe you make a habit of writing down in some book every good thing that happens to you and then review it from time to time. I don't know. There's no one way to do this. That's why I'm saying we're not creating a law out of any of this stuff. It's, it's customized to how the Spirit leads you. But however you do it, whenever you do it, here's the rule of thumb. The more you think about God's goodness, the more you will see His goodness all around you. Because what you believe affects what you see, which then affects what you do. So you're just going to start to notice more about what is going right, less about what is going wrong, and you'll get the result that Paul spoke of just after he encouraged to fix your thoughts on what is good. Philippians 4 verse 9, then the peace of God will be with you. Okay. The third way to position yourself for effortless change is to practice rest. Romans 12 2 begins by saying, don't conform to the pattern of the world. But a lot of people take this to mean don't be sinners like the world. That's the extent of what they think that it means. But it's really talking about the pattern of the world as far as striving and achieving and earning. Because from the moment we are born, we are programmed by the world to achieve, to succeed, to do, to get, you know, quid pro quo. That's what it means, do, to get. We are made to believe that we are the sum of what we do. The world hammers that into us, doesn't it? But that's all backward from what God designed. As I said a few weeks ago, God created humans after he did all the work in creation. The first day for humans was Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying Christians don't have work to do. I'm not saying that God created us to be lazy. Laziness is not the kind of rest I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of rest that comes from knowing that the work behind the work is done. It's the kind of rest that allows you to work from God's delight, not to earn His delight. That's how you can even work and still feel at rest. In John 15, I love this. Jesus is talking about producing fruit. 
and he's talking to his disciples. And we get to kind of enter into the conversation here, have a sneak peek into it here, because it relates to us. In verse 3, he tells them, You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So let me stop right there to reiterate. You are purified by Jesus' message. It's his grace. That is his message. That's what he came to offer the world. It's that that did the purification. So you can stop trying to purify yourself. That's done. But... If you want to produce fruit out of that, Jesus says in verse 4, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Basically, Jesus says, take the pressure off yourself. Your growth is guaranteed as you simply abide, rest in me. And I think of abiding in Christ as kind of a form of active rest. There is something for you to do in the sense that, as we've been talking about, you need to keep the ground cultivated. You need to keep the grace cultivated because we live in a world where grace is easy to forget. Because of the pattern of the world and all the striving and all the earning that's going on around us, grace is easy to forget. So we have to keep it cultivated. But that's not a strenuous work. It's not even locking yourself up in a prayer closet for hours. As we've been saying, to keep it cultivated, it's, it's really about a position of rest while doing the two things we just talked about. Keep God's truths and methods or the message of Christ on your mind and your mouth and reflect and recall the goodness of God in your everyday life. That keeps you abiding in the finished work of Christ in the message of Christ, in the right place for growth. And you know, this kind of active rest is the principle upon which all growth happens in life. I mean, God programmed just about everything to respond to this. I can go to the gym and do all the lifting I want, but the growth doesn't happen when I'm lifting, it happens when I'm resting. Yes, I do my part. Like I said, I can't just lay on the couch all day. But the biggest part, after I've done my part, the growth part, happens despite me. It's during rest when my muscles do what they were programmed to do once they are activated. You might remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about how we aren't designed to live under pressure and stress. The body actually shuts down under pressure. We fail more when we're under pressure. Science shows us that the more the mind is at rest, though, the better recall we have and the better we actually perform. You know, when you're trying to remember something, when somebody asks you, maybe somebody's name. I've got this issue a lot. Somebody asks me, what's their name? And it's a name that I know any other time. But in that instance, I just cannot think about it because there's this, this pressure that you have to come up with the name. And that just releases stuff in the brain, as I talked about a few weeks ago, that hinders us. Well, they've studied 
that if you begin to do something as simple as sing a tune, it puts your mind back at rest and your recall comes back. That's why usually in those instances, what you were trying to remember in the moment comes back to you later at a random time, right? It's maybe an hour later, maybe hours later, whatever. But it's usually when you're just not even thinking about it, that's because your mind's at rest. Your mind's in the place where your body is meant to perform the best because God designed it that way. It's in a place of peace. So the body grows when in rest. It even fights off attacks better when you're at rest. For years, I've said two-thirds of the word resist is rest. Think about any sickness. Your God-given immune system resists. It automatically does what it was created to do when you are at rest. Doctor doesn't tell you to go run a marathon or to go to work when you're sick. No, he says to rest. That's because the body does what it needs to do when it's at rest. And it's the same in our spiritual lives too. A lot of people are battling things simply because their souls are tired. So what does rest, spiritual and physical really, but what what does that look like? Well, again, it's different for different people. For me, since I am honestly prone to striving, I can be a bit of a workaholic if I don't watch myself. So I have to be intentional, and I have been, about stopping my work at a reasonable point every day. Because, you know, in this kind of thing, when you have your own organization, you could be working all the time. I mean, I live this. So I could, I could be working at all hours. And I would quickly burn myself out if I did that, and I'd, I certainly wouldn't be growing. So I have made intentional effort to stop the work at a certain hour of the day. And for me, I have to get out. I like to get outside. I like to get into creation. I like to... I've got this little electric scooter I like to ride around just to, just to get out of my mind for a little while. Take walks, go to theme parks, whatever. That's, that's me. It's a form of active rest. Rest isn't always sleeping, as I said. It's often active. I think of it as any activity where there's no pressure, no competition. For some of you, that could be exercising. Could be going for a jog. Others, it could be dinner with friends. Could be watching your kids play a sport. Like I said, living in rest, living in God's delight, doesn't mean you don't have responsibilities. But when you do what you need to do, all the while reflecting and noticing the goodness of God, keeping your mind on His truths, then you do it all. You fulfill your responsibilities. You do it all with the empowerment of God's grace from the position of rest and peace, from abiding in Christ, which is what He designed. So my point is, you are designed for growth. But you aren't designed to make it all happen by yourself. You aren't designed to change yourself all by yourself. You aren't designed to deliver yourself all by yourself. All of that happens automatically when you place yourself in the right environment. It's not always a drive-through breakthrough. It's not always microwave maturity. 
It's not always overnight. But it is a sure process. When you are in the environment of God's delight, in the environment of grace. And because we live in a broken world, you have to protect that environment and keep it fresh. That's what the three ways are for. Meditate on truth. Recall God's goodness. Rest. Abide in the truth and goodness of Christ. Again, these aren't have-tos. They are get-tos. So the pressure is off. Okay. Remember I mentioned that one super simple power thought that will foster more change and growth than you than anything else? I'm going to share it in just a minute, so stay with me. But first, let me tell you how I can help you beyond this message, because this is a practical message and we have practical resources to help you take this further into your everyday life. It's so much of what this ministry is about. First one that we developed is this Think on These Things journal. It really puts into practice everything that I just taught. I handpicked 30 grace-based scriptures. See, scripture right there. One per day for 30 days. And then I lead you through four reflection prompts that help you think about what does this mean about me, my situation, what does this mean about the goodness and character of God. I'm telling you, going through this journal will be like a fresh breath air every day. Had someone recently said they've gone through it three times already. It works with God's design for your mind to program yourself, reprogram, renew your mind so that in 30 days you really experience a growth of more confidence and courage and just the peace that God desires for you to have. So this journal is available with free shipping in the United States at kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, what is that one super simple power thought that will foster more change and growth in you than anything else? It's simple, but it's powerful. It's God loves me. I encourage you to think that and speak that as often as you can. There is no amount of times that's too much to do that. You just can't do it often enough. God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Talk about tenderizing the soil around you. That'll do it. So that you really sprout and grow. Maybe every time you say, Lord, I love you, turn it back on yourself and say, Lord, thank you for loving me. My friend Susie Larson, she's the one that recommended to do that. God told her to do that for a a period of time. And it's huge. Yes, God created us for a good work. Yes, you have a purpose. There are things to do. But above all, God made you to love you. So today, I bless you. I just speak this over you. May you take in His love like sunshine on your face. May it warm you and awaken you. May it reflect in your eyes and give you a glow. Who you are, as you are, where you are. God loves you more than you can ever know. Recall and rest in that. With that said, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and He is for you. 
And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and on our social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.